My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. So I was talking to someone not long ago at an event that we were doing in the park. And, uh, and, and the people were just kind of blown away whenever they found out that we were a church, right? Uh, because on our stuff, it just says Hope Community NYC. So whenever people walk up and we're like, you know, giving away free hot dogs or we're giving away free waters or, you know, what free s'mores, like all those things that we give away, um, they walk up and they're just like, okay, like, who is this? Like, what's going on right now? And so they ask, what is Hope Community? And, uh, and we have the privilege of saying, well, we're a church in the area. We're just a church in the neighborhood. Um, and, and I always get someone that goes, you guys are a church? Like, like they're shocked that we are there doing something. And, uh, and, and I'm always like, you know, what's the big deal about that? And I've had more than one person uh, just say, well, I'm, used, I'm, used to, I'm not used to churches giving stuff away. I'm more used to churches asking for stuff. Like asking for money. Like they're always asking for money. And I've actually talked to several people who, you know, I talked to about church and they're like, and I'm like, hey, you should, you should come to service. I don't really go to church services. Why not? Well, because all they ever do, anytime I ever go to church, like they always just ask for money. They just want your money. And I'm like, you know what? That's so sad that, that we kind of have that stigma as a church that all we do whenever, whenever people show up is they think that we just ask for money. And I think, unfortunately, that that rings true for a lot of churches, for a lot of things. Um, and, and it is true. Like, if you look on TV or if you look at some of these other churches, um, there's a lot of them uh, who get a lot of airplay who do put a lot of emphasis on money and on giving and all of those kinds of things. And yeah, giving is important. But it's not something that somebody should feel like that you're always wanting is just their money, right? Um, and, uh, and so I feel really bad that that happens. And, but I also feel really good whenever I can go to that person and say, well, that's not what we do at our church. Like we don't, we don't every week just sit here and ask for money. We don't pass an offering plate. Like we don't, we don't do any of those things. And I love that you can respond that way. Whenever somebody says, whenever you invite somebody to church and they say, say something like, well, are all they going to do is ask me for money? You can say, no, we don't really do that at our church. The only time we ever really talk about money uh, is if the scripture leads us there, right? And uh, because that's how we're kind of going through scripture. So I say all that to say, guess what 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 are about? Money. So uh, if you're here today and you're like, all churches ever do is talk about money, I promise we don't. But today we are, all right? So it's very important uh, that we understand um, what's going on in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, all right? Um, and here's my aim, all right? This is my aim through our talk today. My aim is to use this passage, okay, to teach about the heart of grace rather than, the, uh, rather than abuse this passage to fulfill a heart of greed, 
all right? That's what my goal is through this passage. Like, don't worry, I have no, I have no agenda here to try and get your money from you. The only thing that I want to do today is preach the heart behind what this scripture is saying and what this passage is saying, because it leads us all to become better followers of Jesus. It helps us to understand more of what it means to live through grace, all right? So my aim is to use this passage to teach about the heart of grace rather than abuse it to fulfill a heart of greed, all right? A lot of people definitely have a beef with the church over money, and it's for good reason. And a lot of people use these chapters and, and verses within these chapters, and they take scriptures and they take certain verses and they pull them out of the context to try and manipulate people into giving. So that's not what we're going to do here today. I'm acknowledging that that happens, but that is not something that we're going to do today. Again, we're going to get at the heart of this because what the purpose of this verse is, is it so that a kingdom can be furthered, not so that a personal agenda can be furthered, all right? And they use these passages to kind of store up treasures on earth rather than treasures in heaven, and they truly grieve the heart of God whenever you see people use these passages to try and manipulate people into giving, all right? And, and 1 Timothy says, you know, those people have wandered from the faith, as we read earlier, and let's look at it one more time. It says, but people who long to be rich, and churches can fall into this, pastors can fall into this, preachers can fall into this, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, and you've heard people say the, 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 the root of all evil is money. It's not. It's the love of money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, and I've seen it, I've seen it time and time again in churches, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That's important that church leaders understand that. The church leaders understand that, that money can actually cause you to become opposite and an enemy of the gospel rather than money serving the gospel. And we've got to be really, really careful about that, all right? The heart behind Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is main concern. If you read this in context, his main concern is not the budget, right? It's not the budget that's, that his church is about. It's not his own wealth. His main concern is still in context with the previous chapters that we've mentioned. And that is the fruition of genuine grace. The fruition of genuine grace in the lives of the Corinthian believers. He wants to see grace lived out. And that's why he goes into talking about these things. And so one of the ways you can tell that someone is marked by grace is their desire and practice of giving. It's what they do with what they have. And that's why I've entitled the message today, Giving an Expression of Grace. That's what giving is. It's an expression of grace. So to give some context uh, for our look into these chapters, 
When we were in 1 Corinthians, Paul made mention of a special offering that he was taking up for the believers in Jerusalem, all right? So Paul right now, uh, if, you, if you, I don't know if you can picture the map, but Jerusalem, and then you've got all the way across the sea, you've got like Macedonia and Achaia, and that's where Corinth is. That's modern day Greece. Achaia is modern day Greece, and that's where Corinth is at the moment, all right? And right above Achaia is Macedonia. And so Paul has gone to Macedonia, he's gone to Achaia, and he, what's going on is there are these believers that are in Jerusalem, okay, and, and they're all, this is where the Jewish believers were. If you guys remember Pentecost, whenever all these people came to know Christ in Acts chapter 2, like all these people that were still there, there are, there's extreme poverty going on in the church right now, like in Paul's day and time right here. And you're thinking to yourself, hold on a second, why is that the case because if I remember back in Acts 2, and if you guys remember, in Acts 2, everyone came to know Christ, right? You got like all these people that came to know Jesus, and you had all these sojourners that came from like all over the area just to be there at Pentecost, and then the Holy Spirit shows up. All these people get saved, where a lot of people ended up staying there. They didn't go back home. They were a part of the church there. And so they didn't have a livelihood there. And so all of a sudden you had all of these Christians. Some of them had some. Some of them didn't have any. And if you guys look in Acts 2, it's a beautiful picture because it says that everyone was in one accord, all hanging out. And they were giving to one another as someone had need. And what they were doing is they were pooling all of their money together. They were giving their money to the church leadership. And they were saying, look, if this person is in need, use this money to help them out. Use this money for them. And it was beautiful because you had all these people in the church taking care of one another. They were in Bible study together. They were listening to the teachers, uh, the apostles and the teachings of the apostles. And they were all growing in Christ. And you have this beautiful picture. But now... It's not that way anymore. Like this is only, this is not very much longer after Pentecost. And now you have a, like a lot of trouble going on. And, and you guys remember some stories, you know, in Acts like Ananias and Sapphira and how they like dropped dead because they were lying to the Holy Spirit about their offering and everything. And all of a sudden you have what broken people do and they ruined a perfectly good system because of the sin and the brokenness in their own lives. And so this beautiful thing that was happening, and I know a lot of people will preach and a lot of people will stand up and, and, and just go, I think we should go back to Acts chapter 2. That would be great. Like if we all were just taking care of one another, but the problem is, is the world's full of sinful and bro broken human beings and the, and, the root, and the love of money is the root of evil. And there are too many people that love money and there were too many people that loved money to the point that they weren't even able to do this anymore, as great as it was. And so you had people that were taking advantage of the situation. And so now people were like, well, I can't give my money because it's being misappropriated. It's being misused. Not everyone's giving in. And now you just have a big old problem going on. Plus, there was a lot of persecution going on in the church back then. They were being chased for their faith. Remember, they, they wanted to stamp out Christianity. The Jewish faith wanted to stamp out Christianity. They didn't want Christianity to be around anymore. They killed Jesus. They thought that was going to be done, right? The Romans and, and, and the Jews, they all were like, okay, we're just going to get this done. And the Jews were hoping, okay, maybe this whole thing will go away. But it didn't. Then all of a sudden, you had these apostles who were like, no, like we're going to go and we're going to start telling people about Christ. And instead of Christianity being stamped out, it started to grow. And so you had people who were chasing after Christians, and who was one of the people that were mainly chasing after them? His name was Saul, a.k.a. Paul, who's collecting an offering right now for these people, that he played a part 
in their lack of, of, of resources. And so Paul looks at these people and he's like, man, the church in Jerusalem, they're really suffering. And I, I played a part in that. And I want to go and I want to see if anybody would be willing. Any of these other Gentile churches that are in Achaia and are in Macedonia, if they'll give. And so he goes to those churches and he basically just presents, hey, we've got some hurting people in Jerusalem. And so we get to look in this scripture today and we get to see what their response was. And in 1 Corinthians, if you guys remember, the, the church at Corinth was like, we'll give. We'll, we'll gladly give. But then some things got awkward between Corinth and Paul. And so uh, the offering kind of took a back seat. Well, now he's going to bring it back up again in 2 Corinthians. And it's cool because since the time passed, Macedonia had a chance to take up an offering. And this is really about the heart behind Macedonia's giving. In Macedonia, if you guys remember the churches that are there, um, you've got the churches like Philippi are in Macedonia, um, Thessalonica. Uh, is in Macedonia, and Berea is also in Macedonia. So just to give you some context, these are kind of those churches that are going to give, all right? And so let's check this out, because most of all, we're going to look at one way someone who has been given grace expresses grace in return, all right? How do we express grace in return? Well, this is one of those ways. So let's check out uh, verse 1 through 4 in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. And here's what he says. So he's bringing, the, he's bringing it back up to them. And he says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So in other words, he's saying you have got to hear about how the Macedonians are responding to the grace of God in their own lives. Like they've been shown grace. Listen, Corinth, you need to hear about what they're doing, about how they're responding to the grace that they've been shown. He says in verse two, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. In other words, what they could afford, as I can testify, and beyond their means, in other words, what they couldn't afford of their own accord. So nobody told them how much to give. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is a beautiful picture of the transformation that happens whenever you experience the grace of God in your own life. Because none of what I just read makes sense to me in my brain aside from grace. The fact that you have a church right here, like these churches in Macedonia, they've all been radically saved and the grace that God has given them resulted in a joy of such abundance that mixed with affliction and extreme poverty still produced a wealth of generosity. It's not like Paul goes to Macedonia and he's like, hey, I got these people in Jerusalem, they're in extreme poverty, and Macedonia's over here just laid back, right? With their mind on their money and their money on their mind, right? Like they're not, they're not, they don't, they're not rich. Like they don't have everything, okay? And in fact, what they're experiencing is extreme affliction. Like you have these believers in Macedonia and everyone is going at them because they have become Christians and they're hated, and they're experiencing persecution, and here they are sitting in that. And on top of that, they're also extremely impoverished. 
Yet when Paul shows up and he tells them about the believers in Jerusalem, that poverty and affliction don't even bother them. Why? Because of the joy that they have in Christ. <laughs> because of the joy that they experience because of the grace of God. And, and do, you see, do you see what they're saying here? They're like, no, you don't need to tell us what to give. Like, we're going to give, and they're going to give according to their means, and they're going to give beyond their means. Like, they're impoverished. They're impo it reminds me of a story. If you guys remember in, in the Gospels, whenever uh, Jesus is standing there, and he's standing next to the treasury, and all of a sudden, all these people are coming in. He's got his disciples there. All these people are coming in. And they're all giving, like all these rich people are giving. And, and then there's this woman that shows up and she gives what's the equivalent of about two pennies. And Jesus looks at that woman and says, there's the greater gift right there. That's the gift that really impresses me. Why? Because she gave out of what she lacked. These people were giving out of their abundance. And she's giving out of her poverty. That's the greater gift. That's what's going on. That's, that's what's amazing is they're giving not what they can afford, but they're giving beyond what they can afford, beyond their means. And they're doing it of their own accord. Nobody, nobody walked up to them and said, hey, you need to be giving this much money. You need, to try to you need to try to stretch yourself. Nobody had to tell them that. Because of the grace that God had shown them and the need that they saw in some brothers and sisters in Christ, they were like, and you can almost, this is what they said in verse four, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Begging us, begging us earnestly. Like you almost see like Paul going, no, 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 no. Like, come on. Like you guys don't have much. Well, you're, no, please don't do this because, because you guys just, you can't, like you can't afford to, and it's almost like the church in Macedonia was like, no, like let us do what we want to do because it literally says begging us earnestly for the favor. You're doing us a favor by allowing us to participate in helping our brothers and sisters in need when they're in need themselves for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. How beautiful is it whenever we can take part in relieving our brothers and sisters in Christ from burdens that are weighing them down so heavily. The joy that comes from helping our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who are so burdened by things. It's such a joy to be able to take part in that. And that is, that is just such a beautiful picture of the transforming grace of God. Verse six and seven, here's what he says. He says, accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So he's like, we're going we're gonna to let, he, he started the whole giving thing, so, so we're going to let you complete it. Let him complete it. And he says this, but as you excel in everything, let me explain this real quick. If you guys remember back in 1 Corinthians, what were they really, really good at? Spiritual gifts. Remember that? We talked all about spiritual gifts whenever we were in 1 Corinthians. What were they really, really bad at? Unity. <laughs> like they just fought and fought and they bragged about the spiritual gifts that they had and it was chaotic. Like Paul is like, you guys are messed up, right? And so he writes in the whole letter and everything, but they were really, really good at spiritual gifts. And even in 1 Corinthians, even though he was upset with them about some things, he still admonished them in their spiritual gifts. He's like, no, there's no doubt that you guys are gifted spiritually. And there's no doubt that you guys have some really amazing giftedness, like that the Spirit has given you. But this is what he says. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and in our love for you, listen to what he says this. 
see that you excel in this act of grace also. So what are our spiritual gifts? They're acts of grace. Like whenever we have been given grace and we have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we have the fruits of the Spirit that come out of our lives and those are all acts of grace. Like this is what we're doing in response to grace. And he's like, but not only are those things acts of grace, not only do you need to excel in those acts of grace, he's saying, see to it that you excel in this act of grace of giving also. And it's funny because in our own lives, I'll, I'll just use myself, I don't really need a pointed reminder to get better at my spiritual gifts. Like I'm proud of my spiritual gifts. Like, right? It's so much so that you can almost become too proud. So you have to be like really careful of like what your spiritual gifts are. But no, I don't, I don't know very many people that are like hiding their spiritual gifts. Like that's something that you want to get better at are those kinds of things. But it's funny that we needed a pointed reminder though um, to excel in the act of the grace of giving. But we do. And I know that I do. I need a reminder in that. And so I'm glad that Paul wrote this. I'm glad that I have this reminder to excel in that gift of grace as well. And in verse 80 says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. This is going to step on some toes. Certainly took a hammer to mine. All right. Because are you catching what he's saying right here? Like I preached a message one time and uh, it was, um, it was the scripture where uh, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my, do you guys know what the rest of that is? Commands. All right. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And so I challenged the church. I was, I told everybody to raise their hand. Hey, if you love God in here, raise your hand. Everybody was like, we love God. Right. I mean, nobody's like, well, I don't, but yeah, like they're like, yeah, we love God. And then man, we looked at that scripture that says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And then I had everybody take an assessment of how well they were keeping Jesus's commands. And then I had them take a realistic look into how much they really loved God. And that's a pretty convicting thing. I got a letter in my mailbox that said, don't ever do that again. Like seriously, like somebody like wrote me hate mail for that message, true story. There's a chance you're gonna write me hate mail. Cause did you guys catch this? I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. What does that mean? That means what he's saying here is if you love God and you love people, the genuineness of your love for people will be shown in your giving. In your giving for other people. It's, write me a letter later, I'll know. All right, but I could ask everybody in here, how many in here love people? Everybody's gonna be like, I love people. People are my favorite. Take an assessment of that. How much do you really love people? How genuine is that love that you have for people? Because the Macedonians showed the earnestness. They showed the eagerness and they showed their love for people by their actions and by how they gave. Now, we're gonna move to chapter, to verse nine, not chapter nine yet. Move to verse 9 because this is probably perhaps the most important verse in these entire two chapters. Because it explains what should be the true motivation behind giving. Your motivation for behind giving is not because I stood up here today and I preached on giving. Okay? That should not be your motivation for giving. We all have a, there's a, there's a greater motivation behind why the Macedonians gave and why we should give as well. And it's not a command. It's not from coercion. 
but it's out of response to the grace that we've been shown. Look at this verse. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We know Jesus was rich. But there's no way to calculate how rich that he really was. John gives us an idea in Revelation as he speaks about this celestial city where he dwelt and where he rules. We know the streets are paved with gold and the walls are built with jasper. We know there are gates of pearl, streams of crystal, and a great white throne. We know his servants are comprised of countless hosts of angels who rush to do his will at a single word. We know he is crowned with many crowns and that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but we haven't even scratched the surface of his wealth. We haven't even scratched the surface of his richness, and yet he left the throne for a womb. He left the throne for a feeding trough. And we know he was poor. We don't exactly know how poor that he was. We know that foxes and birds had homes, but he didn't have a place to lay his head. Can you imagine going from this to this? We know that when he fed 5,000 people, he had to start by borrowing a little boy's lunch because he had nothing. When he confounded the wise, he had to borrow a penny to do it. He needed an example. He didn't even have a penny. He was like, can I see a penny? And when he was crucified, he had to use a borrowed tomb. But to really measure the depths of his poverty, we'd have to go even deeper. We'd have to measure the sin of every person that would ever have their debt transferred to him. And that is immeasurable. And that is unimaginable. There was never a richer person than the Son of God. And there was never a poorer person than the Son of God. And his poverty, his poverty has made us rich. How rich? We don't yet fully know how rich he has made us. We have some ideas. We know that we have eternal life. We know that we have been made co-heirs with Christ. We know there are riches in glory beyond what we can even imagine waiting for us. But we will have to wait and see the fullness of the wealth we will inherit because of Christ's cost. But death to life alone has given us wealth beyond anything this world has to offer. We have become rich. Christ exchanged his righteousness and his richness for our poverty. His earnings of favor for our earnings of wrath. His reward for our punishment. So where in the world does our generosity come from? I wonder. I wonder where our generosity should come from. It comes from the generosity we've been shown. It's a response to grace. There's some social experiments that people have done uh, to, to the homeless. And, uh, and it's very, very interesting. Because what they found out is, do you guys know who the greatest givers to the homeless population are? The homeless. The homeless are the greater givers of anybody else to the homeless. Why? 
because they know what it's like to be poor. They know what that person is going through. And so let us each consider the spiritual bankruptcy that we have been lifted from by the grace of God. And as we do that, we will naturally respond in generosity to other people. You see, the problem is, is that a lot of people walk, walk around acting like they deserve their salvation. And if you walk around acting like you deserve your salvation, then you really won't have empathy for other people. But if you walk around like the greatest thing in the world has happened to you, that you've been raised from death into life, and that is your identity, and you live in that humility, then the only thing you can do is respond with generosity. That's the only thing that we can do. So I had to take a deep look into myself. How, how much do I act like I deserve grace? How much do I act like that I deserve salvation? And I measure that by how well I'm doing in my generosity. In the next verse, we're going to start to see some parameters for giving, all right? You haven't like seen any rules for giving yet. Like there hasn't been any kind of rules. So he's about to give them kind of a rule or a parameter necessarily, but it's not because like people, he's afraid that people aren't going to give, right? That's why, that's why a lot of people give rules. They're like, I think you should give this much because they're afraid people aren't going to give. The reason that he's giving parameters here is so that they don't give too much. Like he needs to scale them back. That's what, that's what he says right here in 12 through 14. Check this out. He says, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has. All right? So give according to, like it's acceptable to give according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance and the present, at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. Grace causes us to do some crazy things. What crazy things has grace asked you to do? One of the crazy things that grace has asked me to do is move to New York City. Who in their right mind moves to New York City? Right? Like seriously, it's the hardest place to live. Like there's got to be something that like kind of draws you to New York City. And for me, it was grace. It was the grace that I'd been shown. It was the lack of grace in the majority of every person's life in this city that caused me to want to move here and, and, and want to live here. It, grace causes us to do some crazy, crazy things, but it also causes us to do some crazy things in the department of generosity. And Paul makes, Paul makes sure to tell them not to give to the point that their ease brings you a burden too large to carry, all right? So in other words, he's like, don't, like, I, I really think if, if you were like, Paul, should I take out a loan to, to help someone else who is in poverty? He would say, you probably need to pay, pray about that. And then if you were like, can I take, should I take out a loan that I'll never be able to repay? Paul right here is saying, probably not. Like, I wouldn't do that. Like, probably not the smartest thing, right? But sometimes we gotta scale Christians back because they're like, man, out of the grace that I've been shown, they'll, they'll do some crazy things. So he's like, don't, don't get too crazy, all right? Isn't that kind of funny? Like, what church is ever like, give, but be careful, don't give too much, <laughs> right? Like, who preaches that message? Well, Paul does right here. He says, um, 
if you look, we're going to, you know, in the rest of the chapter, he talks about, and we're going to skip ahead, but in the rest of the chapter, uh, he talks about how to um, have some accountability uh, with the money. He's like, I'm going to send some people and they're not going to be alone. Um, and so he's going to give some accountability to that. And, uh, and so, um, and that's something that's very, very important, you know, for churches and everything is to understand that it should never just be the pastor alone that has access to the finances and nobody else, um, has access to the finances. That's a very dangerous place to be in. Um, I was talking just the other day, uh, to a pastor, um, and, uh, he was confessing some things. And one of those things that he was confessing is that, um, he, uh, had taken, some funds from the church to uh, fund vacations. And uh, that's kind of a big deal, right? And you, and you think to yourself, you know, like how, how could that happen? It happens more than you think it does because the love of money is very tempting and it's the root of evil. And so I love the parameters that Paul sets in the rest of the chapter because he's like, I'm not just going to send one person alone. There's going to be some accountability there. And, and I, it's not just me that has access to our finances here at the church. Um, whenever Mike was here, he had access. When Trevor gets here, he's going to have access. My wife has access uh, to the funds. If any, I'll be, I'll be as openly honest to say that if anybody in this room ever wants to be like, Greg, I just want to help hold you accountable. Can you show me the bank statement? I'll be like, okay, like I will show you. Like we got nothing to hide here. Like where our money goes, man, it's all for the glory of God. Trust me right now, I fear God <laughs> way, way too much to go spending money on myself, all right, uh, for this. But I am gonna say that I'm not above temptation. Like I'm not above like, you know, if I'm the only one that, ha like what happens whenever that starts to kind of creep in and, and then slowly something, and I pay for something, you know, a little bit and try to justify it. And then all of a sudden it leads to, like, like I'm not saying that I'm above any of that. So I've got to put parameters in place on finances, even within our own church. And I love that I have accountability from you guys. And I love that I have accountability from my wife and, and, uh, and others that are here. But that's kind of what he talks about there. It's very, 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 very important. But we're going to jump to uh, chapter 9, and, uh, and we're going to look at just a few more ways that giving by grace manifests itself, all right? Uh, if you look in verse 5 of chapter 9, I'll have it on the screen for you right here. Uh, he says this, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead uh, uh, to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift not as an exaction. And if you're like me and you read that verse, you go, what does exaction mean? Anybody? Anybody in the room? Or everybody smarter than me? Okay, I had to like go to the dictionary. I was like, what is that? The word exaction that's translated exaction here, that Greek word means to exploit or to take advantage of someone by a motivation of greed. To exploit or take an advantage take advantage of someone by a motivation of greed. Man, do we see that happen. Wow, do we see that happen a lot. He's like, I want it to be a willing gift, not something that you feel taken advantage of. Giving out of guilt, and listen to this, like giving out of guilt, if, you've, if you give out of guilt or coercion rather than willingly, it's neither good for the giver nor the receiver, all right? And you're like, yeah, but they got the money. Yeah, but they don't have the blessing of God over it. Like you might have the money, but you don't have the blessing of God over that at all. Like a pastor or a preacher should never be in the business of trying to squeeze money out of people. 
Like, if you guys have ever been in like, um, have you guys ever been in like a building campaign, like like within a church or something, or some kind of financial campaign, right? It bothers me so much whenever people just get up there and they bring in like professionals to come in and try to coerce money out of people because we've got something that we want. We got to do something that we want to do. It bothers me when somebody stands up and the whole time, like, like, do you guys remember back in the day um, whenever they had like, what was it called? It was like, I don't remember. The end of it ends with a thon, right? Like a something a thon. And it was like, call and give and, and sow your seed and like, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And it just was going on and on. And they had all these pastors come in and they're like, you can do it. You can. Oh, okay. Anybody ever listened to Caleb before? You know what I'm talking about? Positive, encouraging. Like, I swear, when that comes on and they're in the middle of a share I'm like, switch the channel. I don't care if it's secular, switch the channel. I'm just kidding. But like, I'm like, I'm like I, I can't stand that because all it is is it's just this thing to like guilt you and coerce you and to convince you to give money. And you can justify that stuff. It's used for the glory of the Lord. So whenever they give, they're going to, no. We've never, we're never supposed to be in the business of exaction, all right? And if you want... Call people out on it. That's exaction. And then walk away and let them figure it out for themselves. All right. But uh, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Speak in love. Speak in love. Speak in truth. All right. Uh, speak in humility. But, but man, this type of preaching to me, if I look at that, it shows a lack of trust in the Lord. It shows a disrespect for his people and more of a heart for greed than the gospel, even in the name of the ministry. All right. Because people can church it up, even in the name of the ministry. Verse six, he says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. That one shows up on a share thon 100%. It really does. This is one of those verses that people like to take out of context to exact money from their listeners. And they will appeal to people who are in need of God's blessing in their life. Usually it's financial blessing or healing, you know, or something like that. And they will use this verse to con them into giving more money because the larger the seed you plant, the more generous the crop of blessing will be. Have you ever heard anybody misuse this verse? I've heard a lot of people misuse this verse. And it really, really kind of, I don't know, like I know that like we can't like be angry about it, but like maybe I'm, you know, like when Jesus flipped over a table, I'd like to think that sometimes I experience like a righteous anger. It's probably not. Like, it's probably a sinful anger. But whenever I see people using this verse, or whenever they're like, you need healing in your life, just remember, by his wounds, you are healed. I will slap you in the face. Like, that is such, that is such a misuse of that scripture, because by his wounds, we are healed for eternity, all right? Not your leg is going to be okay. That's not, that's not like your knee that hurts. He didn't die so that your knee would get better, all right? He died so that your eternity would be secure, all right, so whenever people use that and they're like, oh, buy it, and they try to, whoa, that, um, look, I'm getting fired up. Just need to chill out, okay? Man, but, so what does God mean by this, though, right? Because it does mean something. A farmer who plants only a few, it's like not just a cool story about a farmer, right? If plants a few seeds, will get a small crop, but the one who plants, it has to do with giving. But what does he mean? What does God mean? It's actually pretty clear if you'll read the verses before and after. Funny how that works. Um, so look at verse 7 through 15, and, and we're going to end with this, but this is what it says. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. So he tells this story about a farmer, right? He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. 
For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Look at verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Great re increase your resources of what? Like your money? No. Yes, he says in 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So, two, so he says, so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given to you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. So what is this generous crop that you will get from generous planting? Remember this. The more generous you are, the more joy you will have the more people you will help and the more honor and praise you will bring to God. That's what that is all about. That's what this is all about. It is not about your comfort. It is not about how well you are doing financially. It's about the glory of God through the helping of people that are in need and the joy that comes from the grace that has been shown to you. That is a crop of eternal significance and beyond measure. Now, I wanna back up just for a second because I don't want us to miss three things that are in verse seven alone. We got verse seven up there? Right there, perfect. Check this out. So verse seven reminds us the first thing, each of us must decide in our own hearts how much to give to give. All right. So in direct context, he's talking about a special offering that they're taking up, not an offering for their local church. He's talking about a special offering that they're taking up for the people in Jerusalem. So you might ask yourself, well, what does this mean for me? Like, how do I apply this to myself? Like we decide in our own hearts how much to give. Um, and maybe some of you grew up, uh, with the teaching of, and, and, and challenge me on this. But some of you might have grown up with the teaching of that you're supposed to give 10%. But I can't find anywhere in the New Testament that anyone told a New Testament believer to give 10%. Challenge me on that, all right? Like seriously, like, like go read your Bibles and if you see something, like shoot me a text or whatever and just say, hey, here's where it says, thou shalt give 10% in the New Testament. And I'll be like, oh, okay, cool, there it is, my bad. And I'll come back next week and be like, sorry about that, okay? But, but I don't think you're gonna find it because they're not under the law anymore. That was an Old Testament law principle. And they're not under that anymore. In fact, it was more than 10%. They were supposed to give 10% to like the Levitical, like helpers, like the priests and everything, the people that did the offerings and stuff, they were gonna give 10% to like the temple tax, they would give 10% like every three years to something. Like it was more than 10% that they were supposed to give. But you won't find any like number in the New Testament. 
And so I believe that what you give to your local church, what you give to a special offering, what you give to, like, there is no, like, 10% or anything like that. If anything, I believe that putting 10% on it and saying to people out loud, give 10%, will give people an excuse to only give 10%. Like, I think people will use that, and I think that it actually limits us in our giving in response to grace. Because I don't know about you, but the grace that I've been shown, like the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed that grace equals 10%. Like that's not, that's not what everyone magically comes to. I've been saved, I need to give 10%. Like that's not, that's not what happens in us. Because if I know me and there's a lot of follow, I'll follow it and nothing more. Because I'm a very depraved individual. And if the Bible says 10%, then I'll just make it a law. And I'll just go, well, then that's what I'll give. 10%. I've done my duty. Let's go, right? So what I, what, what I want to be careful of is not making an equation out of anything that we've read today. Because we want to do that. Like, if you're like me, we're going to want to make it an equation. We're going to go, okay, mm, so we give beyond our means. Let me look at my budget. Beyond our means, I could probably give $20 over what I believe are my means, right? And then therefore we will have an automatic withdrawal from our bank account that is that exact amount every single month. That's not giving through grace. That's not giving in a response to grace. So we've been given liberty, but a lot of things, what, a lot of times what we want to do is we want to take liberty and make a law. And so we want to take the liberty of giving in grace and we want to make it a law. How much? Just tell me how much. All I need is a number, God. Like, tell me how much you want me to give. God's not going to give you that number. God just says, give, give as you've been given. Give in a response to grace. And if that freaks you out, good. Because that freaks me out too. Because it's like, all right, Lord, like, you're really going to pressure me. You're really, you're really, I really got to pray about things right now. I got to sell the boat. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't, don't. Maybe God wants you to have the boat, okay? Maybe. So, don't make a law out of it, all right? And I think in the long run, you'll have more of a joy in giving if you don't make a law out of it, all right? So, and then, and then the second, so that first thing that he says, you know, each of us must decide in our own, how, in our own hearts how much to give. Also, in number, the second one, we also see that we aren't to give reluctantly or in response to pressure. You ever done that before? You ever given reluctantly, like, oh, I don't think I'm supposed to do this. Or you've been pressured into, like, giving money. That's not supposed to be how it is. This is why we don't pass a plate around here. This is why we don't have, like, a time where we pass a plate and somebody gets up and sings a special music while the plate goes around. Because I don't, I don't want that to be in our lives. Like, I don't want to put the pressure of giving in your face. Have you seen how small our congregation is? How awkward is it if you don't have anything to give in that moment? All right? Like, how, like, I remember the pressures of giving. Like, yeah, sure, I tithe, like, to our church and stuff. But when that offering plate came around, I still put a couple of dollars in there because they didn't want everybody to think that I wasn't giving money to God. You know, like, it was all that. Like, I'm, I'm, I fully believe, like, that plates have been passed and the whole thing has happened uh, to pressure people into giving money. We're not going to do that because I don't want you guys pressured into that. I, f- I fully believe that if you're going to give, it's going to be intentional. It's going to be from your heart. And it's going to be out of, in a response to grace, not a, not a response to a plate in front of your face, right? I don't, I don't want that to happen. 
And, and oftentimes you think about it, like the offering plate, what is it really kind of used more? It, it, to me, it's like a tipping jar to God. <laughs> That's more of kind of what it's used for, like a couple bucks here and there. I don't know if you guys knew this, but back in the day, whenever there was like a coin shortage in, in the banks, do you know where the banks went to go get coins? The churches. You know why? Because that's what they were putting in the offering plates. So the banks were like, can we just exchange like bills for your coins? And the churches were like, absolutely. Because I mean, look, that's what it ends up being. It's like, all right, God did well this week. Here's $2, right? Be careful. So giving in, giving in response to grace is intentional and thought out, not an in-the-moment pressure situation. And then the third thing, he says, plus it takes the cheer out of giving. That's another thing we see in verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Pressure does not produce a cheerful giver. Coercion does not produce a cheerful giver. And guilt does not produce a cheerful giver. That's what we want. It's a beautiful reminder. This whole, these, these two chapters are a beautiful, beautiful reminder. And today is a time for all of us to just reflect on our generosity, the genuineness of our love for people. Let's reflect on that together today. Our response to grace when it comes to finances, our genuineness of love. I'm not worried about finances as our church. Like I said, like I, I'm not standing up here being like, I'm gonna say these things. I'm, I'm hopefully extremely transparent about that. That I'm not up here trying to coerce anyone into giving anything. Like we're gonna be okay. Like I trust God too much to try and con you out of your money, okay? I trust the Lord too much for that. I know that God is a provider. He's, he's constantly shown that. And with, with what is given to this church, we're able to pay rent. And we've been able to provide groceries for church members in need. We've been able to bless people who have gone on mission trips. We've been able to fund all of our outreach efforts. So if you hear this message as me trying to coerce anything and anyone into giving, that's not my heart. Um, I'm not burdened for the finances of Hope Community, but what I am constantly burdened for is the spiritual health of everyone in the room. That's the heart of a pastor. If you guys want to know what, like I, I lay in bed awake at night about, it's not whether we're going to be okay financially. It's whether or not you're walking closely with the Lord. Because I know that if we have a church that's walking closely with the Lord, this is going to be a church that God is going to do some great things through. And walking close with the Lord, whether we like it or not, involves our finances. And that's part of it. So I would actually do a disservice to you if I saw chapter 8 and 9 and said, nah, <laughs> like, let's move on to 10 because I don't want to have a talk about money. I, I would not be pastoring or shepherding you correctly if that was my attitude towards it. I desire so bad for every person in our church to be following Christ so closely with the joy that comes as a response to grace. So let today, today let the scripture speak to your heart. Let whatever you've read today speak to your heart and let God stir up something in you. And maybe you excel in other areas of grace, but you don't excel so much in this one. Then I would challenge you to get to the heart of that issue. If God is asking you to make some adjustments in your finances in your life so that you can excel more in giving, do it. One thing I know is I've never met a person who regretted giving too much. 
but I've met plenty of people who regretted not giving enough, feeling like that they never gave enough. So let's remember, no one has given us nor sacrificed for us anywhere close to what Christ has done for us. For our sake, he became poor so that we could be made rich in him. How are we going to respond to that grace that he's shown us? That's what this whole thing has been about, the whole thing. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.